in late October of 1942, the Axis powers were attempting to push through in North Africa from west to east, getting to Cairo and ultimately seeking to maintain, maintain and take control of the Suez Canal in Egypt. Allied forces, primarily British forces, were stationed there in Egypt and were basically holding Rommel and his tank, his tank battalions at bay. And so there were several battles that ensued. And in late October, there was kind of the, the main event here in this attempt by the Axis powers to, to get to the Suez Canal. And so the Allies were determined to stop this advance. And so this was going to be a tank battle. It was going to take more than a week. In fact, it took basically two weeks for this battle to unfold. But it was like a big showdown. And in preparation for the battle, the Axis forces laid a half a million tank mines. Now just think about that number for a minute. 500,000 tank mines. It was a particular stretch of desert that, you know, was, it wasn't, it was just like a mile wide, basically. And they called that stretch the Devil's Garden. The Devil's Garden. It was somebody's job to have to go in and try to clear those landmines for those tanks. And, uh, you know, God had mercy on those, those men that had to do that. I mean, brutal work. I, I bring that up as an example because the idea of a minefield represents a situation where a a particular group of tanks or soldiers are facing constant danger from any possible, you know, angle. Like there's, there's, it's, there's an ever-present danger and they have to always be aware of essentially every inch of ground that they cover. Just imagine the amount of focus, the amount of attention that has to be given living in that kind of a situation or fighting that kind of a battle. Minefields are filled with unseen danger, and it requires maximum attention and maximum caution to successfully navigate them. Well, Jesus, in Matthew 10, is preparing his disciples to go out on their missions trip. As we'll see in a moment, he's also preparing all believers to function and live as his disciples as we go out on the mission together. We'll see broad language here in this particular part of Jesus' instruction in Matthew 10 that applies to us. And as he prepares us in this particular section, he talks about an ever-present danger that we face. Now, we could talk about many dangers that we face as believers. And in, in many senses, the world that we live in is the devil's garden. And there are, there are dangers all around us, for sure. But there's one particular danger that Jesus focuses on this morning that maybe we don't talk as much about in Western culture and certainly in the United States. The threat that's in view in these verses is the threat of persecution. The threat of persecution. Now, we're going to talk about the different ways we might face this threat, but the fact is, it's a danger that is ever-present. It's all around us. And we have to face it with caution and attention. We don't face it without hope, and we don't face it unprepared. Jesus has given us specific teaching this morning to help us be ready to live in a world where Christians are opposed. And so we're going to face that challenge in different ways in our life, and we're going to consider that together. But let's get into the context here in Matthew 16. And again, Jesus is teaching the 12 as he's about to send them out on their short-term missions trip in Israel. But again, in verse 16, we'll see he, he shifts gears a little bit and talks more broadly about some concerns for all disciples. There are two uh, two 
animal metaphors that or similes that Jesus uses in verse 16 to get us started. So look there in your Bibles at verse 16. Jesus continues, says, look or behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, if you just pause there at the first half of verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Um, this image is a picture of ever-present danger. So I don't know how much you are familiar with the natural behaviors of sheep and wolves. They don't play well together. And so the idea, of course, is that sheep among wolves are always under threat. There's always danger there. The wolves are predators. The sheep are the prey. Jesus says to the disciples, about to send them out, hey guys, I just want to give you a pep talk. You're going out as sheep amongst wolves. You're going out as prey, and there are predators all around you. You are going out, and just so you know, because you're associated with me, you will face danger every day. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. But there's a therefore in verse 16. There's a so what, an instruction. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, you're probably familiar with the second half of verse 16. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? And so uh, the CSB, shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus uses a second animal simile here, a a picture from nature to make the point. This may have been a proverbial saying. There's a little bit of evidence that maybe that's the case. We don't know for sure. but, But one way or another, Jesus draws on this analogy between serpents and doves to talk about what we should expect and how we should function in light of the danger that we will face as believers uh, living for Christ. So let's talk about the two aspects of the image here. Be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. You know my love for snakes, okay? And and you you know, uh, where's Rich? You you know my love for snakes. Uh, So so the reality is uh, God created snakes. They are a good part of his creation. And here, this is evidence, God takes one aspect of snakishness and uses it as a positive example, right? The word here is cunning, or CSB, shrewd, right? It's actually the same word that's used in Genesis 3, verse 1, that's sometimes translated crafty. In the Greek version of of Genesis, it's the same adjective here. So it's cunning, shrewd, crafty. Now, the idea, of course, in Genesis 3 is that the snake is crafty and therefore not to be trusted because the snake intends to harm. But in this case, it's that there's a positive side to this cunningness. And the picture is that of a snake that is not easy to kill, that is not easy to get rid of, a snake that is good at hiding, a snake that is wise and careful and aware of the predators that are coming for it. Snakes are hard to get at. And they're quick and they're speedy. They're camouflage, right? That, that, that's the picture here, that the, the snakes are shrewd. And Jesus says, listen, you're going out as sheep amongst wolves. You are going out into very dangerous situations. You're going out into a minefield. You need to be cautious. You need to be careful. You need to be cunning. You need to be shrewd, right? You need to be aware of the threats against you, and you need to respond appropriately. And so here Jesus, he captures this one aspect of snakes, and he says, let's talk about how that actually can be helpful to you as you engage the world and as you live out the mission. But as, as we all know, snakes bite, right? And so this shrewdness, this, this cunning is not intended to be used for malicious intent, for harm. 
And so here Jesus gives another, right? and again, it may be a proverbial saying, but he gives another side of the equation to balance out the cunning or the shrewdness of snakes. He says, be as shrewd as serpents, but then also be as innocent as doves. Innocent as doves. Uh, the idea, of course, is one of, you know, peace. The dove is not going to harm anybody. I think there's exactly zero people died from dove attacks this year, okay? So somebody's going to correct me. Somebody's going to correct me and be like, actually, Pastor Ryan, there was a dove. No, like, I'm risking it, okay? I don't think there was a known instance of a dove killing anybody this year. So, you know, that, the idea is that be innocent. Don't be harmful to others, right? Don't, don't be someone who is, uh, even though the wolves are hunting the sheep, we're going to be shrewd and careful, but we're not going to be aggressive, or we're not going to be malicious, or we're not going to be harmful to others. Now, let's unpack what Jesus means here. What is he saying? He's saying, be careful and be caring. Be careful and be caring. Why? Because the mission is a minefield. Be careful and be caring because the mission is a minefield. You're facing threats every day, threats of people who are opposed to Christianity and opposed to Christ. We'll talk about in a minute various scale uh, you know, of, of threats that we face. But the fact is, because we're sheep going out amongst wolves, we need to be ready. And being ready means being careful, being shrewd, being cautious, but also being caring. And the, the primary uh, issue that Jesus is identifying is that, number one, we don't want to unknowingly walk into situations where we, we end up uh, in, in a situation where we are persecuted and harmed because we weren't paying attention. If we're not being careful or cunning, if we're not as shrewd as serpents, what are we? We're gullible. We're gullible. This is a wake-up call for Christians. And frankly, I think we in Western cultures and in the United States specifically, we need to hear this wake-up call. Wake up, people. You are a sheep amongst wolves. You need to have your ears attuned to what's going on. You need to be paying attention. You don't just need to be lumbering about in your Christian life, like not paying attention because you're walking in a minefield. Like that's the picture. Sheep amongst wolves. So be, be as shrewd as serpents. Be careful. Don't be gullible. Now, a couple things about being careful. We're not heedlessly running into persecution. That's the idea, right? So we don't want to be foolish. Jesus is envisioning his disciples going out and sharing the gospel with others. But he's like, listen, you got to kind of gauge the temperature of the town that you're in. you got to see the situation because I need you to go to the next town. And so you're not going to intentionally or uh, accidentally put yourself in a situation where you get arrested or you get executed because we need the gospel to advance. So you got to be paying attention to the circumstances that you're facing and don't heedlessly run into persecution. Jesus is not saying you avoid danger because he is sending his disciples into dangerous situations. He's not saying don't go to hard places and share the gospel. He's saying go with your eyes open. Don't be gullible. Don't be foolish. Again, be careful. Be vigilant. Now, what does this look like for you and for me today? This, this teaching certainly applies to us today as we seek to make and mature disciples for God's glory. We need to do so shrewd as serpents. We need to do so being careful. That means we're vigilant. How? Well, be vigilant in cultural analysis. Listen, people, you got to wake up. We live in the real world. And there are decisions being made at the level of governments. There are decisions being made in communities. There are attitudes that are being harbored in, in our workplaces, in our places of education, right? All that. We've got to be paying attention to what's going on. 
Not necessarily because we're going to take everything over, but because we have to function as believers in this community. So we just need to be aware of what we're up against. Don't be gullible and don't be foolish. Certainly don't have your head in the sand. Analyze your culture. When, when the time comes, seek legal consultation, especially as a church. I don't know if you know this, but the church sometimes consults a lawyer about decisions that we're making. Why do we do that? We do that because of Matthew 10, 16. Because we want to protect the mission of the gospel. Because we want to be shrewd as serpents as we seek to make and mature disciples. But even as an individual, you're making decisions. You're living out the gospel in your life. You need to get wise counsel. Not just officially wise counsel like legal counsel. Probably more likely in your situation, you're talking about just getting good counsel from other believers as you seek to navigate the world that you're in. We want to be vigilant. We have to be, we have to be careful, right? Because the mission is a minefield. I was involved years back in a situation where we as a church uh, sent someone to China, and they went to China, and on this mission trip, they were intending to deliver Bibles to believers in China, which is kind of illegal depending on where you are and what's going on, okay? So this individual was going to basically pack two massive suitcases full of, of Bibles in Mandarin and fly them to China and then just take them, you know, and, and deliver them. And so we were talking with the person trying to help them figure out what would be, you know, how this could work and all of that. And obviously God could bless that. Absolutely. And he could protect that person going through customs and the whole thing. But then we figured out that you could buy Bibles in China. It was just, you had to, you had to go to a different town. There was like an extra airplane flight involved. And so we said, Hey, why don't you just not take the Bibles? Why don't you just go and buy the Bibles in China? and then deliver them there. Now, still not exactly legal from the, from the perspective of the local Chinese authorities, but at the same time, it was less risky, and it was, it was more plausible that it could be effective. And so sure enough, that's what this individual did, and praise God, everything worked out, and they were able to get the Bibles and deliver them, and it just took an extra flight. So we were like, awesome. I think that's a good example of being shrewd as serpents. You just want to be careful. You just want to think about how are we going about the mission? What are we doing? And how does, it, how does it impact the culture that we're in? So be paying attention. Now, we have to be careful, but we also have to be caring. Jesus envisions us as sheep amongst wolves. And when wolves bite, some of us as sheep bite back. And there's a temptation to respond in kind. So the command is not just be careful. It's also be caring. Now, the word that Jesus uses here, innocent as doves, that, that conveys a sense of moral purity, okay? And so the idea is not just that doves are peaceful and don't usually kill people. The idea is probably one of moral purity, that as believers, even though wolves are attacking us, we are not going to respond in kind. We are going to function in a way that is holy and then is pleasing to the Lord. We're not going to give in. We're going to recognize that character matters. And even when someone cusses me out, that's not a green light for me to just cuss them out. Or even when someone attacks me, that's not a green light for me just to go on the offensive and attack them. It's an, it's an opportunity for us to remember that vengeance is the Lord's. And so we can turn the other cheek individually. We can actually say, I'm going to be someone who promotes peace, and I'm not going to respond in kind. Of course, when we read the rest of the scriptures, we find out that God often uses distinctly Christian behavior in persecution to advance the gospel further. Remember in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul is talking about his imprisonment. And he says, basically, short version here, um, don't worry about me. The fact that I was in prison has served to advance the gospel. So yes, I've been arrested, but my being arrested has given me an opportunity to show Christ 
to my guards and to others in the Roman you know, situation. So, hey, praise God, the gospel's advanced. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, this general instruction is given to Christians as well from the Apostle Peter, who says, again, short version here, that basically, as believers live in a distinctly Christian way, and you're, even when you're persecuted, God will use that perhaps to cause the conversion of those who are persecuting you. It's a beautiful picture here. But it's just an acknowledgement by Jesus that, listen, you got to be careful and you got to be caring. You, you have to be shrewd and you have to be innocent. you got to be paying attention, but you're not going to bite back. You're going to honor Christ in all of your behavior, no matter how hot the persecution gets. Now, what kind of threats? What are we actually talking about? Let's keep going. Watch verse 17. Jesus goes on. He says, beware of them, of people, right, the world, right? Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in, your, in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. If you pause here at verse 20, okay, in verses 17 and 18, we have this instruction where Jesus says, listen, be careful because you're going to get arrested. Because you're going to have charges brought against you. And we know this is not meant just for the disciples' immediate missions trip. Because of verse 18 specifically, you'll even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. Well, the short-term trip for the 12 is only in Israel. It's not, they're not going to Gentile territories. So Jesus is obviously thinking about other trips later, other opportunities that other Christians will have as they seek to advance the gospel. And he says, you might get arrested and you might be brought before authorities. You're going to face, you know, cranky neighbors who call the cops on you. You're going to be facing different challenges, different kinds and levels of persecution. And so we'll talk more about some of the ways we face that here in a moment. But just notice again, verses 19 and 20, God's provision in the midst of that persecution. He says, when they hand you over, don't worry. Don't be anxious about how or what you are to speak. For you will be given what to say at that hour. That's the divine passive there. God will give you what to say. How? Because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Most of your Bibles correctly have the spirit capitalized there in verse 20. The Holy Spirit that indwells us will equip us with the words that we need and the manner that we need when the time comes. So what we find here is not a promise that, hey, if you become a Christian, you're not going to face hard times and persecution. Jesus says, it's a minefield. You're sheep amongst wolves. So yeah, be careful, be cunning, be, be shrewd. And yes, be caring, be innocent, be pure. And when the day comes, when you get arrested, when the day comes and they drag you in front of the, the governor or the, the council, or when you have to face the lashes and you get 39 lashes, by the way, that was the maximum Uh, punishment that a Jewish council could give under Roman administration was 39 lashes, right? And so you're going to have that happen to you perhaps, and you're going to face that kind of punishment. And the fact is you might face even worse, but but the reality is that when those days come, the Spirit of God will equip you with the right words at that time. Now, Jesus is not saying don't prepare for that time and don't have an outline and don't have verses memorized. He's just saying that if you're worried about being faithful to the gospel in that moment, don't, because I'll provide for you. The short version here is that when we are persecuted, God will provide. When we are persecuted, God will provide. 
Again, we know this instruction is for all believers because of the general uh, terms that Jesus uses, the different kinds of persecution he references. In our culture, we could think about the scale of persecution. And we talk about that from time to time here, but it's worth repeating just for our own benefit as we apply this passage. So if we think of persecution on a scale, we can think about the least intense to the most intense, right? We can think about the least intense versions of persecution would be like um, the eye roll from the guy in the cubicle next to you at work or the dirty look from the unbelieving family member, right, at the meal or whatever, right? You, you, you get those kinds of really kind of just, they're really mellow, but they're like, you're a Christian and you're stupid. Like that's what they're trying to communicate, right? And so there's opposition at that level. You know, it gets a little bit more warm as you face what I would call passive opposition, right? Uh, passive opposition is, uh, you know, uh, maybe um, in school there's an environment where it's a little bit more like this is really not for Christians and it's not maybe explicitly stated, but it's un- unofficially assumed or stated, that kind of thing. Um, social media, you know, Christian views are, the algorithms are designed to suppress Christian views and things like, oh, it's a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. They're against Christians. Like, it's, it's not a conspiracy. It's clear. They say that they're against those things. So, you know, there's going to be things like that where it's like, yeah, it's, it's passive kind of suppression of Christian ideas and views. Uh, maybe in your office, you know, you might find some, some more, you know, it's not just a dirty look. There's some, some posturing and some things said and sensitivity training that are intentionally anti-Christian things, but they're not necessarily targeted towards you. It's just generally difficult. We'll face that, and, and that happens, okay? So it's getting a little bit more intense. But then we move from passive uh, opposition to active opposition, This is now where you're not going to get the promotion because your boss doesn't like Christians and doesn't like you. Or you get passed over or you lose your job. Uh, We actually have uh, folks in our own church family historically in in ages past that lost their job because of their adherence to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, You could be graded harshly by a professor at at a high school or, or at a university. An unfairly harsh grading because of the views expressed in a Christian worldview or in, in a paper. You could face legal opposition. There are brothers and sisters in New, in New Hampshire uh, that are seeking to build a church. And this is outside of Dartmouth, New Hampshire. And they've been seeking to build, build a physical church building um, for 12 years. This, uh, this case against them by their neighbors was active opposition that started at the, at the level of the town council and eventually went to New Hampshire Supreme Court. And praise God, they won in New Hampshire Supreme Court. They could not have won, but they have won. There hasn't been a new church built in Dartmouth since like the 1800s, the early 1800s. So this is like a big deal. And the church is healthy. It's, it's thriving. It's a growing church. It's, it's basically the size of our church. And they're facing active legal opposition to their ministry because their community does not like Christianity. This is happening, right? It's active opposition. So it could be general like that or it could be personal as we talked about those other examples. Now, we could obviously go then one step further to the more intense level of persecution where people are now using laws not just to prevent the church from building buildings, but now to actively imprison Christians. We're talking about people being put on trial because uh, the gospel has been categorized as hate speech because it calls certain behaviors sinful, right? That's happening in North America. That's happening in North America right now, especially in Canada. It'll, it'll be in, uh, in the United States before too long. 
We have people paying fines for sharing the gospel in public places. We have people doing prison time. Of course, if we get outside of our cultural context, we know that in other countries, people do prison time simply because they're believers and they're faithful based on the whims of the governor or the king or the leader of that nation. Christians are beaten, and sometimes, tragically, Christians are executed. So there's your scale of persecution. We don't face the most intense forms in our culture at this moment. It's not like a daily threat. You're going to get arrested because you were at worship at Green Palm Bible Chapel tomorrow. Wait, maybe you will. I don't know, but probably not, right? So we're not facing that level. But all the rest of these different kinds of persecutions we are facing. Opposition to the gospel. And the fact is, Jesus says, get ready. Get ready. And if you're struggling with this and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to know what to say to my boss if he comes to fire me because of my faith? Or how am I going to know what to say to that professor when he attacks Christianity in his class? Or how am I going to know how to write in this paper? How am I going to know how to talk to my neighbor or whatever? Jesus says, don't worry about that. My spirit is in you. I'll give you the words to say. How and what to say. I'll give you the the manner that you need and I'll give you the, the content. And again, he's not saying don't think about it ahead of time and don't prepare. He's just saying don't don't be concerned that somehow you're going to mess it up. He says, don't worry, I've got you. So God promises here that he will provide when we are persecuted. Because God has promised that, right, we 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 can move forward living as Christians and maintaining our Christian witness without fear. And this is the reality. So often we let fear prevent us from articulating our Christian faith to others, right? And Jesus says, let's take that out of the equation. He's not saying people will like it all the time. He's just saying, don't worry, I've got you when the time comes. Don't let fear prevent you from living and speaking as a Christian. God promises, I will provide. I will be with you. I'll give you the right words at the right time. You know, it's interesting because We enjoy, at the moment, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Two wonderful things for a society. Two two legal protections that give us a great opportunity to grow the church and advance God's kingdom worldwide. But did you know that the church does not need freedom of speech or freedom of religion to thrive? That churches thrive and grow in other countries where there isn't freedom of religion and freedom of speech. And we praise God for that. Now, the fact is, we have it at the moment. So I think one of the things Jesus is saying in Matthew 10 is, you should use it. I mean, you have freedom of speech and freedom of religion. You're going out of sheep amongst wolves. Be cautious, right? Be careful. Be caring. Be innocent. Be pure. But go get them. Go out and live as my followers and speak the gospel to people. Share it. Be known as a Christian. Go do it. Use the opportunities that God has given you. And don't be afraid that you won't know what to say because God promises. Not, this is not Pastor Ryan promising. This is not somebody else saying, oh, I'll help you out. This is God, Almighty God, the sovereign creator of this universe, who says to you, I promise you that my spirit will equip you when the time comes with what to say and how to say it. So don't be afraid. Now, at this point, there's this awkward moment, okay, when I think we just have to acknowledge that in our culture, there are many people that might hear this message from Jesus in Matthew 10 and say, whoa, 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 this thing could get me killed? I didn't sign up for that. 
I'm not really interested in a religion that means everybody's going to be against me. Now, Jesus is not saying everyone will be opposed to you to the degree that they could be, right? But Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And you're going, that wasn't in the gospel pamphlet that I read. <laughs> okay, it was like, God has a wonderful plan for your life and everything's going to be amazing. It's like, oh yeah, that was the one that I wanted. There's an opportunity here to just acknowledge that many people have been sold a false version of Christianity. And frankly, maybe you're thinking, Jesus isn't worth this. And if that's what you're thinking this morning, I want to encourage you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you don't think Jesus is worth this, then you don't know Jesus. You, you haven't come to a recognition of his glory as the eternal son of God, who was the agent of creation, who took on flesh and took the form of a servant, and who, as we'll see in Matthew in weeks to come, who suffered on the cross to provide for you and me. Maybe you're not willing to suffer persecution for Jesus because you're not a Christian. Jesus here is instructing his disciples, the 12, absolutely, but this instruction is not just for them, it's also for us. And he's saying, buckle up, people. Be shrewd as serpents, be innocent as doves, it's game on. And I'm sending you out, I'm sending you out to make disciples, and as you have opportunities, be careful, be caring, but what we don't have as an option here is to be silent. Sadly, sometimes this persecution is so intense it even divides families. Watch verse 21. Jesus continues to warn and to caution about this minefield, these dangers. He says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, let's just pause there at verse 22. Okay, when he says in verse 21, brother will betray brother, uh, father is child, children will rise up against parents, he's talking about the gospel dividing families. And there have been instances where this has actually happened, right, literally. But he's also including there lesser instances of division amongst families. And we know that in families that aren't primarily Christian, sometimes what happens is that as, as people come to faith, that parents, brothers and sisters, cousins, they don't agree. And because they don't agree, they, they oppose. And they do it passively, or maybe they do it more actively. But Jesus says sometimes it's families themselves where these, these divisions can happen and where this persecution can be faced. And then he, he doesn't say that that isn't going to be a reality. He just says you need to prepare for this kind of opposition. And he does that in verse 22 by giving us a general statement. You will be hated by everyone. Now, I have t-shirts that have that on there for you guys for sale after the service. <laughs> Again, that wasn't in the track that I got. You will be hated by everyone. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying every single person will hate you. He's saying opposition to the gospel is everywhere. That's what he's saying. Opposition to the gospel is everywhere. The scale of persecution. But the fact is, if you're on planet Earth, before my return, you will face opposition. This passage is not just for the persecuted church in an intensely you know, hostile environment to the gospel. This is for every believer Jesus says, you will face opposition no matter where you are. But, verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The end of what? There's two options here, and maybe he has both in mind. One is the end of your life. 
the one who endures to the end of your life, right, will be saved. Meaning, if you claim faith in Jesus, and then the temperature gets hot, and you face opposition, and you bail, Jesus is saying, you're not in my kingdom. You're not my follower. You're not a Christian. Okay? But when the temperature gets hot, and you continue to follow Christ, and the temperature could get so hot that you're executed for your faith, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end, that one will be saved. That one demonstrates genuine faith. He also, by the end, could mean the end of the age. Talking about until his return. So the one who endures until that time, until this kingdom expansion work is done, that one will be saved. Either way, for you and for me, the calling is clear. It's a calling to perseverance. Now, it applies to the, to the 12. Watch verse 23. He says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus says, listen, you're going to get to a town, okay? You're going to share the gospel, and you're going to face opposition. He hinted at that at the end of the passage. Last week here, he's really delving into it. And then he says, when that happens, okay, move on. Go on to the next, right? I think we can see here a general wisdom principle for sharing the gospel with people. That when you're engaged in someone with conversation and maybe you share the gospel with them or matters turn to the Lord and they are giving you all the signals that they are done hearing about this, I think you should respect those people. Respect their, their, their you know, attitude and say, okay, if, if you are done hearing about Jesus, then I will move on to the next town. Right? It doesn't mean God won't give you another opportunity with them later. But what we don't want to do, we don't want to be those Christians who are screaming at people in megaphones, right? And people aren't listening, but we're just like, I'm just going to scream at you anyway, right? Or that when you're the person sitting next to someone on a plane and they put on their noise-canceling headphones and so you just talk louder, right? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, that's not being innocent as doves, okay? You know, Jesus, be smart about it, right? But Jesus says to the 12, you're going to get to a town and they're gonna, the heat's going to get hot, so you move on. You know what's so crazy? It's not just that it happened here in this immediate trip for the 12. It happens in the book of Acts all the time. In Acts, the apostle Paul and his companions are going from town to town through the Gentile world, and they would go to town, they would share the gospel, and some Jews would believe, and then more Gentiles would believe, and then the church would be established there, and then the, and then the, the authorities would get mad, and then charges would be brought, and then Paul and his guys were like, cool, you guys got this, we're out. And then they would go. But what's, what are they doing? They're fulfilling the mission. Right? And they're moving forward. And, and not everyone can leave a town, right? But he, Jesus says, for those that were actually planting churches, like he says, go, go to the next town, advance the cause, persevere is another way to say it, right? That's what's required. Note, note the end of verse 23, his sovereignty over the whole process. He says, For truly I tell you, you will not have, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now let's talk about this phrase, before the Son of Man comes, okay? The title Son of Man comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In that vision, it's a vision of the Messiah, and the Messiah actually comes before God the Father. And so we have this beautiful picture of the Father and the Son reigning together in Daniel 7, exercising divine authority and judgment over all the earth. It's a beautiful picture. In that picture, though, I just want to be clear that the Son of Man comes not to earth, but the Son of Man comes to the Father. And what's going on here is Jesus is actually talking about his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he's basically saying to the twelve, listen, you're not even going to get to all the towns in Israel 
before I actually die, rise, and ascend to the Father. Like, this mission is going to go on past that. And so the fact is, you need to be ready to persevere because there's a lot more yet to happen. Now, as Jesus explains this to the 12, it just reminds you and me of something very important. Number one, the mission continues. So yes, the Son of Man came and has ascended to the Father, right? That, that, that has happened. But the fact is that the mission continues to make and mature disciples, to see people come to faith through our capacity to demonstrate Christianity and to explain it to people. But secondly, it just reminds us that God is still sovereign over all of it. And so if you got chased out of a town, if you faced persecution in any of those different ways that we talked about, you can rest at ease knowing that God is sovereign over it. And he has ordained it for his glory, for your good, and for the advancement of the gospel one way or another. And even if the person that you're trying to talk to puts those headphones on, even if somebody kicks you out of their house, even if somebody says, no, I don't want to hear from you, right? Or even like the Apostle Paul, if they were run out of towns, right? God's sovereign over it, and so we move on and we persevere in the faith. What we're not doing is we're not giving up on Christ and saying, oh, it's not worth it. He's not worth it. Forget it. I'm out. You see, persecution requires perseverance. Persecution requires perseverance. The whole point of Matthew 10 is to prepare the 12 and to prepare us for being on mission. And the fact is that we need to stay on mission despite persecution or even as we face different levels of persecution. Now let's talk about perseverance, okay? Perseverance is only necessary because of hardship. If it's not hard, you don't have to persevere, right? So Jesus is preparing us for this need to persevere, especially when we face opposition. But Christian perseverance is rooted in God's sovereignty and his goodness. So we're not just persevering just to be stubborn. We persevere because God is sovereign and he is good. He has made these promises to us. And so we say, okay, God, you're sovereign, you're good. I'm moving forward in faith. Trying to be careful and caring, right? Being shrewd, being innocent. Trying to discern, like, is this a situation where I need to leave, go on to the next one? Is this a situation where I need to kind of develop the, the conversation further? Do I circle back later? Lord, give me clarity. Give me wisdom, right? But I persevere even as I face opposition because I believe God is sovereign and he's good. Additionally, Christian perseverance keeps the gospel at the center. This is not about building the glory of Green Palm Bible Chapel. It's not about building personal glory. Okay, we're not, we're not growing a political party we are advancing the kingdom of God here. It's his work. And so his gospel remains at the center. And his, his gospel, which culminates in the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? His gospel has to be the motivating reason why we're making the maturing disciples. It's for his glory. Now, at this point, I think we have to consider a couple of threats here that come from within, not from without. The first is maybe avoiding persecution by hiding the fact that you're a Christian or downplaying your faith in Jesus. This is, I think, a, a daily issue for us in the culture that we live in, where increasingly it's more and more awkward to be known as a Christian. But brothers and sisters, God has redeemed you so that you would be known in the world as someone different. And so you have to count the cost here. And you have to say Jesus is worth it. He's worth the funny looks I get at school. He's worth the awkwardness in the cubicles at work. He's worth, he's worth all that and much, much more. And so I'm willing to be known as a follower of Jesus. 
And yes, not all Christians do everything right, and sometimes other Christians make mistakes, and it gives Christians a bad name, absolutely. But often we use those as excuses to hide rather than opportunities to talk about what true Christianity is really all about. So be careful that you're not avoiding persecution by hiding. Additionally here, there's not a category for Jesus of the sheep who's not amongst the wolves. Like the casual Christian that's like, I'm into the Jesus thing, just not if it gets too intense, okay? Like sort of like, I want to sign up for the safe sheep zone. Like is there one of those? Like just the, we're without the wolves? And there's not. There's not. There's no way for you to follow Jesus in this world and not face some kind of opposition. So if that's what you're into, you're not into Christianity. You are not into Jesus. You're into something else, okay? And so there's a lot of different things it could be, but that's not faith in Jesus. He's given us clear instruction here to prepare us to live amidst opposition. It is a minefield, And we're fooling ourselves if we think it's not. And so the fact is, we need to be ready. We need to be careful. We need to be cautious. Because the mission is a minefield. We need to get rid of this idea that there's like a casual Christianity where I can just kind of coast and be safe. Now, the world that's out there that's opposing us, okay, even though they are enemies of God, we are called to love that world and to care for that world. And so while they may come at us, we don't turn around and come at them. We show them love and care and compassion, and we deliver the gospel, gospel to them to the degree that we can as they're listening. And if they say thanks but no thanks, then we move on to the next. That's our calling. Right? That's what we're, that's what we're called to do. Be careful. Be caring. Pastor Jesse and I had the opportunity uh, a few weeks ago to meet with a brother um, from the Middle East. And um, this brother's story is significant, and it really matches well what Jesus talks about in this passage. So I just wanted to share it with you so you can know that these things are happening, but also so that you can be encouraged by the example that we see in this brother. I'm going to call him Saeed. That's not his real name. Um, Saeed is from a, a, a Muslim family, a prominent Muslim family in his part of the world. And uh, he grew up Muslim, and he eventually heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he responded in faith to the gospel which is awesome, and we praise God for that. But in his context, in his world, it was very bad news because that meant it brought shame on his family. And so uh, his family basically attempted to have him killed. And so he was physically attacked. He had to flee his hometown, his home country. He had to flee uh, to, uh, to an entirely different nation in order to find safety and protection which is really sad, right? It's really hard. God used those circumstances um, in, in his life, and he's grown as a believer. And so, but one day, his past caught up with him. And sure enough, his brother tracked him down. And his brother wanted to, to kill him. And um, Saeed said to his brother, he said, I'm not your enemy. And I know what you want to do, and I know why you want to do it. He says, but I love you. And he shared the gospel with his brother. And would you believe it? His brother became a believer in Jesus. Isn't that cool? His brother goes home to his, his family and has a believer. And again, this is worse going to worse for the family. And so the father, Saeed's father, took Saeed's brother and executed him. And I tell you that because what happened in that moment, tragic though it is, right, what happened in that moment has actually served to advance the gospel. 
Now, there's an open door in that family because of the, the turmoil that they've faced because of the situation inside in, in his brother. His brother is at home with the Lord. And while an untimely death is tragic because of the gospel, Saeed mourns as someone with hope in the gospel. He's sad. He wishes that that didn't happen. But the fact is, he knows that because his brother turned to Christ, he's at home with him. And better, better for him to be at home with the Lord dying at a young age than living a long life of opposition to the Lord. Now, what do we see in, this, in these circumstances? We see the reality that what Jesus talked about, even in the most extreme versions, is actually happening today. So it does happen. But what we also see in situations like this is an example for us. Brothers and sisters, you're not facing that level of persecution, I know. But you will face some. And as you face it, your battle will be hard for you. There will be a moment for you when you have to decide, am I willing to be known here as a Christian? Am I willing to take this heat? And what we find in these examples, in Saeed and his family, we see an example of God's faithfulness in the midst of opposition. We see Jesus being faithful and giving this brother the right words at the right time to convey the truth of the gospel. Now, I, I pray that you don't face persecution that intense. But I don't pray that to the extent that it means you don't persevere in the gospel. So we're looking for God to be at work in us in all the different varieties of persecution that we face. And our calling is not to avoid danger. It's to be careful and it's to be caring. Because the mission is a minefield. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are on the mission. Let's pray together and ask God to help us be careful and caring as we live out the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy, which is so evident, Lord, in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your grace in this passage, preparing us to, to be sheep amongst wolves. Lord, we recognize that we face a lot of dangers as believers, but in this particular case, we're thinking about the danger of persecution. And so we ask that you would help us, help us to live by faith and to persevere. Lord, help us to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Lord, help us to be careful to be wise, to be discerning. And Lord, help us to be caring, to manifest true Christian character and to not return evil for evil. Lord, we pray that you would use our experience of opposition as opportunities to advance your kingdom cause. Lord, use the transformation in our lives to show the beauty of the gospel to others. Lord, we pray that we would be gentle, be caring, be loving to those who oppose you that we wouldn't respond in kind, but rather, Lord, we would show them your love. And we see your love most clearly displayed as, Lord, you died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you are the Son of Man of Daniel 7. And Lord, we look forward to the day of your return. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to persevere in our faith. Protect us from wanting to avoid being known as believers. Lord, help us to see that rather than fear of persecution, we can be confident because your spirit will provide for us. And Lord, we thank you for these promises. We thank you for this preparation. And we ask that your spirit would help us now as we go to live by faith, even amidst opposition. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.